appreciate you very much, Brother Tim's message this morning. It reminded me of the opening verses in the book of Jude, where he said, These things we write in you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Indeed, there's the faith, that body of truth contained in the scripture. We should earnestly contend for it. This morning, I'd like to take you to the book of Numbers, chapter 16 and 17. Obviously, this is in the Old Testament. It's the fourth book of the Bible. Uh, Romans 15, 4 says the things written before time were written for our learning. I quote that quite often to emphasize the importance of the Old Testament teachings. There are many things in the New Testament you would read if you did not have the information about it in the Old Testament. It really wouldn't be clear to you. So this is going to be an example this morning. Things written aforetime was written what? For our learning. If you're, going to be, if you're going to learn it, you have to read it. You have to study it. You have to understand it. It would, uh, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Patience and comfort means endurance and encouragement. Therefore, if I don't read any of the Old Testament, I'm going to miss a valuable source of encouragement that will help me to endure, that is, to persevere. So we find in Numbers chapter 16 uh, a man by the name of Korah who is going to lead a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Korah was actually a cousin of Moses and Aaron. And Korah was of the tribe of Levi, but he was not a priest. But he had duties responsibilities. He and those with him had the responsibility of ministering in the tabernacle, standpoint of taking care of the items in the tabernacle, but he wasn't a priest. But he must have been a man of importance, must have been a man with a lot of influence, because we're going to find that he's going to gather 250 additional men, men of renown. These are well-known men, famous men in the congregation. For him to get 250 of those to follow him shows me that he was a man of influence. And Kor's problem was he wanted to be a priest. He wasn't content. He wasn't satisfied with the due responsibility that God had given unto him. Now, it's part of our human nature to be like that if we're not careful. Korah was so uh, determined about this that he got these men and they came against Moses and Aaron and accused Moses and Aaron of taking too much upon them. Now, at this point in the life of Moses and Aaron, if you're familiar with them, you should be, we know Moses was chosen of God to be the national leader of Israel. He was chosen of God to go down to Egypt to bring Israel out of there. He then chose Aaron to be his companion, who was about three years older, his brother. He would be a mouthpiece for Moses. And later on, as we read in Exodus chapter 28, after the tabernacle was constructed and built, we find where God made Aaron the first high priest. He and his sons would be the first persons in the priesthood that God was going to establish. That was God's order. God is a God of order. All you have to do is study the creation to understand that. The sun, the moon, the stars all have their place. What would happen if that was not the case? Well, they say if the earth was any closer to the sun, we would melt. If it was any farther away, we'd freeze to death. So I guess it just, we're extremely fortunate when the Big Bang took place, we wound up 93 million miles away, just in the right places. He's a God of order. 
when he healed the 5,000, excuse me, fed the 5,000 men besides the women and children, he told the disciples, tell them all to sit down in groups of 50. When they came across the Red Sea, the Bible says they came across harness. That word harness means they came across in groups of five. You know, when the Red Sea parted, they didn't just rush across. They came across calmly because God was with them and they could feel the presence of God. He's a God of order. Parents are over children. Teachers should have authority in the classroom. In the military, you have all different types of ranks. And you know, just because somebody has a superior rank doesn't mean they're a superior person. Uh, a private may have more character and integrity than the general, as far as that's concerned. But that doesn't matter if you're in there and you're the private, he's a general, and he says, jump, you're already off your feet, right? Without order, it just is chaotic. And we live in a chaotic country today because people are trying to torpedo order. They're trying to do away with order. And we won't go into that this morning. You have better things to talk to you about than that. But Korah wasn't satisfied. He was covetous. Uh, he was covetous of Moses and Aaron. He wanted to be a priest. Now, I remember reading about a king, King Uzziah, who was a king for 52 years. He started being king with 16 years of age. You read this Second Chronicles chapter 26. And you'll find where Uzziah as a king understood that God made a difference between the throne and the altar. And though a king might be a king, he did not have the authority to minister at the altar. In other words, he did not have the authority to do the work of the priest. But he decided he'd do it anyway. And all the priests came to him and tried to persuade him not to do this. But he wouldn't listen. And the man died a leper. God put the judgment of leprosy upon this man because he was violating God's order. So we see that Korah is a man who's given to covetousness. We're warned about that. That's the 10th of the 10 commandments, isn't it? Did you read in Exodus chapter 20? You have 10 commandments, number 10. Most people are familiar with all the other nine far more than they are the last one. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the last one has just much power with it as the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth one. But you hear perhaps the least amount about it. It might be because we're somewhat guilty about it. You reckon? The Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke warned about covetousness. And he gave the example of the farmer who had a bumper crop and he was trying to determine what to do about it. First of all, let's notice what he didn't do about it. He didn't pray about it. He didn't talk to God about it. He didn't even thank God for it. God has blessed him tremendously. And yet there's not one word of thanksgiving coming out of his mouth to thank God for what God's done for him. He doesn't pray to God for guidance and direction, doesn't pray to God as to what he shouldn't do. So he just speaking to himself, which is always a dangerous thing. <laughs> he decides, well, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my current barns and I'll build me bigger barns that'll hold all this additional uh, you know, grain and stuff that I have. And you'll find the word I is used like seven times. The word my is used three times. So he refers to himself about ten times in just a few verses. He had the eye disease. So I'll just build me new barns. Well, the Lord now talks to him. He wouldn't talk to the Lord, so the Lord's going to talk to him. The Lord called him a fool. He says, oh, thou fool. He says, 
What's going to happen when you die? Who's all this going to belong to? Whose hands is it going to be into? The Lord uses him as an example of what not to be. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, he says, Be content with such things as you have. We should be thankful for what we have and be content with it. It doesn't mean we can't have uh, desires to, you know, to be more successful and these kinds of things. There's, there's a proper spirit and all of that. But it shouldn't be our main goal in life. Just be thankful for what God has done for you, for the gift you got, the talent you got, the doors he's opened up to you whether it be with family, with work, whatever it may be. Cor wasn't that way. He wanted to be a priest. So he gets, has enough influence to get 250 well-known men from the 12 tribes of Israel to join him, and they come against Moses and Aaron. Notice in verse 3, number 16, and they gathered themselves together against Moses, against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you. Moses didn't volunteer to be the leader of Israel, and Aaron didn't volunteer to be the high priest. This was God's will and God's purpose. Seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them, wherefore then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. If you just take that little expression there, you'll find at least seven times, at least seven, where Moses and Moses and or Aaron fell on their face before God when such statements was made by the people. When these kind of statements was made, when these kind of actions was taken, it grieved Moses and Aaron to the point where they just fell on their face before the Lord, and Moses oftentimes made intercession for these people. And he spoke unto Korah and to all of his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. And now he's going to give them just a real simple plan. This do, take you sensors. Now, a sensor, this is not a S-E-N-S-O-R-S, you know, when you have to replace in your car for about three and a quarter. These are sensors, C-E-N-S-E-R-S. These are, these are devices in which incense was burned, and usually in the offerings that they made. He says, take you a censer, core and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord has, shall choose, does choose, he shall be holy. You take too much power upon you, you sons of Levi. Now that's Moses' response back to them. Then he says, seem it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and minister unto them. Seem it a small thing to you for this? You don't understand this is important work. God's given you this work. It's a holy work. It's a, a God-honoring work. You, you think it's too small? You, you don't think you've been given a big enough job, in other words? That's what he's saying right here. See, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a real simple lesson concerning things like this. In the 13th verse, he says, For we're all baptized with one spirit into one body. That's not water baptism, that's spiritual baptism. Every time a person is born, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God placed him into the triumphant body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's baptized into the body of Christ, whether it be Jew or Gentile or bond or free. He said, that being the case, he says, it's not many, he said, not just one member, but there's one body, and that one body has many members. He says, then shall the eye say to the foot, because, or 
I'm not of the foot, that I'm not of the body? That wouldn't make any sense. Shall the ear say, because I'm not the eye, therefore I'm not of the body? I mean, that make any sense? Well, it doesn't. He says, the eye, if we're all the eye, if everybody was the eye, then where's the hearing? We all can't be the eyes. We all can't be the ears. We all can't be the nose, the mouth. He's using the natural physical body to illustrate this important point. Okay? So we understand, I have just one body, but this body has many members. I've got two arms. I've got two hands. I've got ten fingers. I've got two eyes and two ears. And thank God, one tongue. Aren't you thankful about that? Aren't you glad God didn't just give you one hand and ten tongues? <laughs> Where would we be then? All right. So the illustration is simple, but I think even the smallest child here can grasp that point. So therefore, the eye cannot say to the ear, I have no need of thee. And the head cannot say to the foot, I have no need of thee. He goes on to teach us how that some parts of the body are more uncomely than others are. Some we give more honor to than we do others, don't we? He said, but where honor is due, give honor. You know, if one part of the body is hurting, the entire body should hurt. That's the way it is in the church congregation. If there's one person in this church today that's hurting, every single one of us should be hurting with that person. We mentioned this morning on the prayer list. A couple of families going through rough times. And we need to be thinking about that and being able to feel a little bit of that roughness in our hearts. Shouldn't we? That's the whole point. For God has set every person in the church as it's according to his will and his purpose and his pleasure. See, Korah had a good job. He had a God-honoring job. He had a job you ought to have been thankful for just to have had the job. That's why David said in the Psalms, one day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So here's a simple plan. And then he says, For this call, which calls both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? What do you got against Aaron? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, who was co-conspirators along with Korah, and says, We will not come up. Now Moses is a national leader, and they just flat out say, We're not going to do what you said to do. We're not coming. And then they say to Moses, Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? He makes about three or four charges here against Moses and Aaron. He said, Moses, you, you're the problem. You were the problem out at Kadesh Barnea. You remember that? You go to uh, also the book of Numbers. And you'll find early when they came to Kadesh Barnea, right there at Jordan's River, about an 11-day journey after coming out of, the, out of Egypt's land, that the spies were sent, but the spies came back. Twelve spies went. They came back, and ten spies said, we be not able to take the land. They were more persuasive than Joshua and Caleb, which uh, Tim made reference to. It said, we be well able to take the land. They listened to them. God sent a judgment. One year for every day despite the land. They're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. That wasn't Moses' fault. That was the fault of those ten spies. And the people listened to the ten spies rather than Caleb and, Abel, uh, excuse me, uh, Caleb and uh, Joshua. He says, you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. Really? The land of Egypt? Now God said Canaan's land flowed with milk and honey. Egypt sure did not. 
But that's what they said. And then they accused Moses and Aaron of making themselves a prince over them, which was not true. That was all false. Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Moses is very wroth. Now this is a pretty lengthy chapter. We're going to hit just some of the high spots right here. We find here where Korah did what they uh, Moses and Aaron said. They took every man his sense to put fire in them, laid incense down, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared in all the congregation. Decision time. Judgment time. See, they'd had a little history that they had overlooked. You go back to Leviticus chapter 10, you'll find where Aaron had two sons. These two sons, the Bible says, they took censers, put fire in the censer, and offered it to God. It's called strange fire because God did not command it. The Bible says God slew them both. They should have thought about that. This had already been tried once, according, uh, contrary to God's order, and they were slain. You know, it's said about history. If you don't learn from history, you're prone to repeat those things we've done in the past, right? But there's another little saying. If you don't learn from, the one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. The one thing we don't learn from history, (laughs) or we learn from history, is that we don't learn from history. This is their history. They seemingly have forgotten it. So, they bring the fire. They do just like Moses and Aaron said. And then we find the Lord saying to Moses, verse 20, and to Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation. That may consume them in a moment. He says, you need to get away from them. That reminds me of Proverbs 13 and 20 for a practical application. He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. These are fools. And the Lord says unto Moses and Aaron, you need to separate you from them because I'll get ready to consume them. What did Moses and Aaron do? They fell upon their face. I've already told you at least seven times in Moses' experience, he falls upon his face. And they said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spake to Moses again, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Kor, Dathan, and Abiram. That's the two men who would not come. And he spake to the congregation, said, Depart, I pray ye, from the tents of these wicked men. Now these men might have been famous. These men might have been important. These men might have had influence. But the Lord said they're wicked. These are wicked men. Just because a man is well known doesn't make him a righteous man. Some of the most wicked men that's ever lived upon the face of the earth. Also some of the most infamous men who've ever lived upon the face of the earth. Now... The Lord says, separate yourself, Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron tell the people, separate yourselves. So they got him up for the tabernacle core, etc. And here's what Moses says in verse 29. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. If they die like other men have died in times past, then you'll know the Lord has not sent me. But the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit. Then shall you understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words, in other words, immediately, that the ground claveth sunder that was under them. I think it's an unusual thing. 
Never read about it before, never have read about it since. Now the Lord opened up something else one time and destroyed some people. Didn't, didn't he open up the Red Sea? Didn't he open the, the mouth of the Red Sea? And the Red Sea opened up after Israel had parted. Or then, then Israel parted, excuse me, uh, walked across dry shot to the other side. And when Pharaoh and his horses, his chariots, his army tried to follow suit, what happened? God then closed the mouth of the Red Sea. And they were all destroyed. Now the Lord causes the earth to open its mouth. And they're all going to fall in. Notice the next verse, verse 32. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained to the court and all their goods. They and all that pertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. Now here is a miracle in terms of displaying God's judgment. God just caused the earth to open up right then, just as soon as Moses got through saying what he said. If these men die of the common death, you know God hadn't sent me, but if something out of the ordinary, something unusual takes place, in other words, then you know that God didn't send me. As soon as he said it, the earth opened up. And all those that rebelled against him, that is Korah and those other two men and all their families, all their households, all went down into the earth and the earth closed its mouth and they all perished. Notice next. And all Israel that was round about them fled the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Now the Lord destroys the 250 in a different way. He destroyed Korah and the other men and their families, didn't he? Fire's been kind of a a frequent way that God has used judgment down through the ages. Oftentimes God would send forth his judgment in terms of a pestilence, or he might send it in terms of a drought, a famine. Or he might send, uh, uh, you know, the sword. That was usually the sword, the pestilence, a famine was uh, three things that God oftentimes used to display his judgment. But also God oftentimes sent fire down from heaven to display his judgment. Early in Numbers chapter 11, you'll find where they complained. And the Lord was very displeased with that. And the Lord sent a fire and consumed a good number of them. So this isn't the first time. You'll read later on in 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah put an offering, put a bullock upon that altar. You know, after the, after the false gods, after the men of Baal, the, the false prophets rather, had called upon their false god from morning to evening to consume their offering, and nothing happened because they were calling upon a lifeless god. We find Elijah then takes that bullet, puts it on the altar. He digs a trench around the altar. He puts 12 barrels of water. It hadn't rained in a long time, but he found 12 barrels of water, perhaps in the Mediterranean Sea, and he saturated the bullet and, and, and just made everything as wet as wet could be, and then you call upon God, and God sent fire down out of heaven. And while normally water is used to put out fire, we find the Lord here is using fire to consume the water. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 1, you'll find where a king sends a company of 50 men and a captain to bring Elijah down, Elijah down from the mountain. And when they go there, they make a demand for Elijah to follow them. So Elijah just calls on God. God sends fire right down, consumes all of them. He sends another company of 50 and a captain do the same thing. They come with arrogance, demanding that Elijah come down from that mountain. Elijah calls upon God and fire comes down and consumes them. 
We find the king sent another company of 50 and a captain, but this captain is a little wiser than the other two. He's not arrogant. He comes begging. <laughs> he comes pleading. He reminds uh, Elijah what's just happened to those other two companies of 50 and the captains of it. And he asks Elijah, real nice. And I found that in life, brother, if you're nice, you'll just get a lot more accomplished than if you're not. <laughs> uh, you know that? I just try to be real nice about different things. And the Lord usually blesses saying it's come out pretty good. Who likes to uh, respond to an arrogant person, right? So God used fire. God uses fire right here. Consumed 250 of them. I read about fire over here in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 25, you're going to find where the Lord's going to separate the nations of people at his second coming and put his sheep on the right hand and the goats over here on the left. He'll say to his sheep on the right hand, Come, you blessed my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. But he'll say to the goats on the left, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, and everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7, Paul says, In you their trouble rests with us. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with all his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God and obey not the gospel of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the order of that. Yeah, they didn't obey the gospel, but it's because they knew him not, to know him and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called flaming fire. In Matthew 25, it's everlasting fire. In 2 Peter 3 and 10, the Apostle Peter says, For the day of the Lord shall be as a thief in the night. The Lord's going to come, and there's going to be a great noise in the heavens. And the elements shall melt with what? With fervent heat. And all the works of this earth shall be burned up with fire. God promised he'd never destroy this earth by a flood, and he will not, but he will destroy it one day by fire, you see. Now, the Lord usually sent a famine. He usually sent a pestilence. He, he sent the sword. And sometimes he sent the fire. Have we noticed any of these things happening in the world in America today in recent years? Especially California? Isn't that where all the fires are at in California? The mudslides, the earthquakes, all these different things. Oh, they, they're happening in places other than that, all right. So the Lord destroys them. You'd have thought that would have took care of the situation, wouldn't you? Thought that took care of it, that handled it. Let's go over to verse 41. But on the Mar, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You've killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses, against Aaron, they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, a cloud covered, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Second confrontation. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation. I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. Here's the third time in this chapter that Moses and Aaron are falling upon their faces. Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar. Put on incense and go quickly into the congregation. Make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Now a plague is taking care of the situation. First the earth opens and closes. And then there's fire that comes out of heaven. Now a plague comes down. And verse 48 says that Aaron did that. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. They that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah. 14,700 
died in the plague. This all started with one man, Korah. You read in the book of Jude, that little book, just before the book of Revelation, the New Testament, look in verse 12, and the writer says, Woe unto them that run after the way of Cain, and those who ran greedily after the error or the reward of Balaam, who perished with the gainsaying of Korah. Jude brings three characters out of the Old Testament to our attention. One from Genesis, Cain. And then we find two from the book of Numbers. We got Balaam in the book of Numbers. And we got Korah from the book of Numbers. And they, all three of them represent the devil, the flesh, and this world. Korah represents this world. And when you find Cain representing that wicked one, 1 John 3 and 12, the apostle John says that we're to love one another, keep the commandment of God, we're to love one another, not as Cain who was of that wicked one who destroyed his brother in Genesis chapter 4. That's hardly an example of brotherly love, right? And he gives us why. He says, because his works were evil and his brother's works were righteous. The works of Abel was righteous. The works of Cain were wicked. And Cain of that wicked one destroyed and killed his brother Abel. And then he talks about the gainsaying of Korah. Gainsaying means rebellion. It means to dispute the word of God. It means to stand against God's will and God's purpose. That's what Korah was guilty of right here. You read about all this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, in the first couple of verses, three verses. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherefore in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. There's the world, there's the devil. Wherefore, in times past, we had our conversation fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the desires of the flesh of the, of, of, of the lust of the mind, and were by nature the children wrapped even as they. There you got the world, you got the devil, and you got the flesh. That's our three enemies. We live in the world, but we strive daily, uh, fight that good fight of faith, to strive daily not to be part of this world. Satan is always around to tempt us, always around to try to mislead us. And then we got the old human nature. <laughs> the old human nature, I just can't get rid of him. Everywhere I go, he's with me. He's my constant traveling companion. What about you? <laughs> Did you leave him at church this morning? Uh, I mean, excuse me. <laughs> Did you leave him at home this morning? Well... I wish you could have, and I could have, and we should have, but we all brought him with us. But we do have the power of the Spirit within to mortify the deeds of the body and to put the old man down. That's what Korah represents gainsaying. Jude refers to him over here. Hundreds, even a couple of thousand more years, way down the road, and he brings up Korah for an example over here. So listen. Go into chapter 17 here. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, and remember, he, now he's established very clearly, I think they all got the message that God put his hand on Moses, and Moses was his man, and Moses was the nation's leader. But look what it took to, to show them that. He says, speaking to the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, write every man's name upon his rod. Now get the picture. And thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. There's twelve of them. 
And I shall lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. The Lord said, I'm going to meet with you there. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I'll make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. Another simple plan, right? I love simplicity. That's what I love about the church. One of the things I love about the church is so simple. You know, we meet, we sing together, we worship together, pray together. Somebody may lead the praying, but I trust we're all praying right along with him with the spirit that dwells within us. And then uh, we, we interact together in the preaching of the gospel. I mean, I've got to do the preaching, but you've got to do the hearing. You know, I thought years ago, I was so happy, and I walked out of my last class in college and took my last exam. I said, no more exams forever. <laughs> then God called me to preach. And I've taken exam every Sunday. <laughs> I've taken exam every Sunday. <laughs> Paul told Timothy, show thyself, show thyself approved unto God. I work and need not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm on trial every Sunday in that regard. But anyway, <laughs> it's a very simple plan. They all bring their rods. Those rods used to be part of a tree. It's been separated. Now, you know, when you cut a tree down, the book of Job teaches this lesson. You may think the tree is gone. The next thing you know, a few days after that, a few weeks after that, you see sprouts coming up from the bottom, right? Because the root of that tree is still down there. But you separate a limb from the tree, it's never going to sprout again, Right? Or it may have green leaves on it. It may lay there for a while, but in a few days they'll start turning brown and start shriveling up. Why? Because there's no life in that rod. That rod has been separated from the stock. No life. They take 12 rods. They put them in the tabernacle of witness for one night, one day. And they gather those rods. Let's notice whose rod does what. And Moses spake to the children of Israel, and every one of the princes gave him a rod apiece for each prince, one according to their father's houses, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses led up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. It came to pass on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded, brought forth buds, bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. That stick did not have the ability to do that. It's a supernatural event that's taking place. A miracle of God. Here's two miracles, one in number 16 where the earth opens up supernatural. Here's a miracle where one rod out of 12 just happens to be Aaron's rod, by the way, right? Because God had already chosen Aaron to, be the, the, uh, to form the priesthood and be the first high priest. Now he's manifested to them one more time. And Aaron's rod sprouts, Aaron's rod buds, Aaron's rod, Aaron's rod blooms, and Aaron's rod brings forth almonds all at the same time. Now normally that takes place in stages, right? But any tree, first it sprouts, then it buds, then it blooms, and then it brings forth the fruit. It's done in stages over a period of time. This all happened instantaneously, all at the same time. This picture's 
the priesthood being a priesthood of succession. From the time that God caused Aaron to be the priest and the high priest, there's never been a time the Lord's people hadn't been without a priest. You bring it all the way up to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came, Israel was still under the Mosaical law, the ceremonial law. They had a priesthood that would last to 70 A.D. But in 70 A.D., the Roman army will destroy the city of Jerusalem. It will destroy the temple, and they haven't had a priesthood since, like the one I'm talking about. But thank God we do have a priesthood and a high priest, don't we? The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 that God has made us kings and priests unto God. A priest representing the people to God. And every single one of us has been made a priest. You know that you're a priest here this morning, New Testament day, and you can represent uh, our sick and our afflicted and our loved ones and, and one thing after another, we can represent them to God in our prayers. We're all priests. And then we've got a great high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ who's on the right hand of the majesty on have, making intercession for us. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities in all points. He was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He, our text this morning on the prayer list from uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 9 tells us that we have a high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ who's in heaven right now to appear in the presence of God for us. In fact, the word appears, appears three times at the end of the ninth chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews 9, 24, 26, and 28. Take a look at those three appearances and you will find three glorious aspects of the appearance of Jesus Christ. I just gave you one. He's in heaven right now to appear in the presence of God. For what? For us. And in verse 26 says, For he appeared once in the end of the world. That is the Jewish world, the mosaical economy. He appeared once in the end of the world to do what? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What a glorious appearance that was. Aren't you glad he appeared 2,000 years ago? Aren't you glad he made his appearance 2,000 years ago? Aren't you glad the word of God uh, manifested itself and dwelt here upon this face of this earth 2,000 years ago and lived for 33 and a half years and tabernacled among men? He was here. They saw him. They touched him. They heard him. They handled him the word of life, John says. Aren't you happy about that? Aren't you happy about that appearance? And then verse 28, unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I love that appearance. When it says unto them that look for him, he's not talking about a single act, a vision. He's talking about an attitude. You see, the Christian, my friends, lives in two worlds. He has citizenship in two worlds. You know that? We all are citizens of two worlds. I'm a citizen of the United States of America in this world. But according to Philippians 3 and 20, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. I got citizenship papers in heaven, my friends. God gave them to me. I'm a citizen in both worlds. And it's through an eye of faith that enables me to get over the things I have an eye of natural sight that I have to look at every day. That I have to see on an everyday basis. You know the old saying, seeing is believing. You ever heard that? Have you ever used that saying? Well, seeing is believing. Well, the Christian says believing is seeing. <laughs> That's right. We're like Moses. When he says, Moses, seeing the invisible. How can you see the invisible? Because <laughs> you're looking with the eyes of faith and not with natural eyes of creation. 
living with the eyes of faith that God has given on you. So while with these natural eyes, seeing may be believing, to the believing Christian, he says believing is seeing. What are you seeing here this morning? What are you seeing here this morning? Oh, <laughs> I hope you're seeing a whole lot. <laughs> Aaron's rod that budded. Oh, I, I really wanted to go into more detail about that, but there'll be another Sunday, Lord willing. And another day, I told Tim before, Tim kind of get, you know, we're talking about things he said. He said, oh, I forgot to say this. I forgot to say that. I said, but the only people know that's me and you. All they know is what you did say. And so I do the same thing. I'll go home this afternoon. And I'm thinking, why didn't I say that? <laughs> and then why did I say that? <laughs> but the only person knows what I didn't say is me and the good Lord. So what I didn't say this morning, Lord willing, I'll say maybe next Sunday. <laughs> so you need to show up to find out what that is, right? <laughs> so seeing may be believing in the natural, but believing is seeing in the spiritual. And that rod that buddy, let me just say this in closing here this morning. That rod that budded, all the different stages, it budded, it bloomed, it blossomed, it brought forth almonds, it brought forth fruits. It all came from a rod that was separated from the stock. It all came, uh, my friends, from a rod, rod that could not bring forth any that within its own self. And it points us to the Son of God. Isaiah 53, 1, He shall come forth as a root out of dry ground, without form, without comeliness. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But I'm going to tell you, my friends, he budded, he bloomed blossoms, and he brought forth almonds in his fruitfulness. John 6, 37 through 39, All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he that come to me I'll know why is cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. All he hath given me, I shall lose nothing, but raise up again at the last day. I'd say that was prosperous. I'd say that was prosperous. And I like to think about this. The Lord's children in their earthly journey don't all live to be the same age, do they? Some of them die in their mother's womb, unfortunately. Some die stillborn deaths. Some die in their mother's arms at a very young age. Some die in their youth. Some die in their middle age. Some make it to live long lives. But the Lord Jesus Christ represented every single one of them at every stage of life. The buds, the blooms, the almonds. And you see, when those almonds were, came to maturity and they were taken off, there was almonds coming right behind it, wasn't it? <laughs> there were the buds and the blooms, it would be long, and almonds coming right behind it. Oh, the Lord lived the most fruitful and prosperous life anyone will ever live here in this world. Thank God for that. Thank you so much for your, your wonderful attention here again this morning.